This episode of UK Low Carb Podcast is sponsored by Deliciously Guilt Free. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to UK Low Carb. This is a special series with Nicola Howard, a good friend of mine, where we talk about the relationship. The relationships that we have with food, whether it's physical, psychological, spiritual, societal and even environmental. Join us each Tuesday as we talk about a different topic in this field. And if you want to be part of the conversation, then you can join our Facebook group, UK Low Carb. Or you can ask Nicola Howard anything you wish in our live session at the end of this series. I'll now hand over to Nicola Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode on a Tuesday where Nicola Howard is going through the relationship that we have. Um, and we've covered so many different topics. You might have listened to the first few episodes where we talked about our relationship with the physical and also psychological and the spiritual side of our relationship with food and ourselves. And then last time we spoke about the impact on the ecology uh, and the environment around us, which was really hard hitting. Um, but these are really important topics, and I hope that you find them important too. Just before I say hello to Nicola, I just want to say if you want to get in touch about any of these topics, you can go to Low Carb in the UK or UK Low Carb on Facebook. They're two different groups, one by Nicola, one by me. And it'd be great to hear what you think about these topics as well. Uh, welcome, Nicola, back to UK Low Carb. Oh, well, thank you for welcoming me back. It's been so much fun doing these. I'm really looking forward to getting in today as well. Yeah, fun, but also at the same time quite harrowing when you realise what we're talking about is yeah. huge, absolutely huge, and it has such an impact. Literally, our lives are at stake. So, yeah, yeah you can't get much bigger. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know what, when you say that to an individual, you sort of think, oh, that's pretty horrific. But when you yeah. say about the whole of a civilization, the whole of a, a species, you know, and you think, oh, my goodness, this is, yeah, worrying. So, OK, so today then we've, we've done now, we, we talk, talked about the environment and the ecological side uh, of our relationships with food. What about the societal? Let's bring it a bit more towards um, like more immediate. Yeah. So a big macro. Let's bring it a little bit more in now. Yeah. So, so, so as a society, again, thinking about what we talked about last week with how we've developed a food culture and medical culture as well, which we didn't really talk about, and also a um, the way that we behave as people, um, we have a trifecta of Bleh! because we have <laughs> is that, we an trained, term? that is an official term Blah! um we have we have a society that we have developed where um stodge plus sweets equals comfort rewards and treats and we've developed that you celebrate with a bottle of wine or birthday cake you reward with a lollipop when you go to the dentist and you when you are sad and down you comfort yourself with things like I mean especially not so much in the summer but like winter stews and dumplings and big piles of mashed potato and and things that are seen as comfort food has a name and so at that and that's how we've developed as a society and of course we then cause ourselves problems because we medicate around the problems that are caused by bad food um, and I don't normally like to use the term bad, but it, it really is what's what I call a food like substance where we've developed these things that our our treats and rewards and comfort. Comfort foods tend to be more whole food, but rewards and treats definitely are things that we have just pulled out of whole cloth in the last sort of 50, 60 years by looking at what we were doing before when we had minimal sugar availability. And, and not very good quality flour, but it wasn't as harmful as the flour you get today, going back up a level, because, of course, Norman Borlaug developed 
um, the dwarf wheat in the 50s, which has changed the way gliadin and gluten works, and that causes our stomachs harm. That's a whole other topic. Wow. <laughs> um, we, we've sort of developed these fast-acting, hard-hitting carbohydrate things that are seen as a treat. And I, I often ask the rhetorical question, why have we called something that is actively harmful to our body a treat? Mm. I can't say it's one of those big questions that I'll probably never get an answer to. But but when we think about how we've developed it, and you've, you've then got the, the media goes hand in hand with this because, of course, the guidelines came out in 1983 that said we needed to reduce our fat and, up, and uptake our carbohydrate. This was the 80s where greed was good. And we then developed a whole bunch of processed food that met the new guidelines. Dutifully, as a population, we started eating to the new guidelines and we've got fatter and sicker ever since. It's a failed mm. experiment. and We need to change back to where we were in the 70s when if there's a I saw a lovely picture very recently of Brighton Beach in 1976 during the drought. All right. There's, yeah. there's not a fat person on that beach. Not yeah, one. Yeah. I suspect if you took a loop and really looked at the picture, you'd probably find one or two. But Far you, fewer than now, right? Yeah. You took that same picture today and you could guarantee 60% of the people on the beach would be some form of obese, overweight, big. And can I just say on the food guidelines, like I think sometimes people have an idea that, well, I personally don't follow the food guidelines. It doesn't affect me. But actually, <laughs> even if you... Yeah, but, but even if you don't yourself, you'll be in, you'll be surprised. I think most people will be surprised by how much it affects every part of your life. Because not only is it the food in the shops, but it's the food you're fed at school uh, yeah. in school meals. Um, it's the way that guidelines are used to sort of influence the way that all food is produced. So mm-hmm. you know, all of us have eaten food made by somebody else at some point, and it's influenced everyone's mm-hmm. cooking as well as restaurants, the places you yeah. go to influences everything. Unless you are completely happy which most of us, I think, probably do to some extent, just to cook for your, uh, yourself and make your own food choices, it's incredibly difficult to avoid those guidelines. It affects everything we do, doesn't it? Yeah, well, even if you're talking about whole food, just take a piece of steak that you go and get from a butcher. The butcher trims it more than he would have done 40 years ago. Yeah, true. Because fat, fat is not our friend. Fat is a bad thing that we must avoid at all costs, especially saturated fat. So the butcher providing us meat in good faith is trimming. And if yeah. you look at a, I, I've done butchery courses because I wanted to know how to butcher an animal because, hey, the way my brain works, I wanted to know. Yeah, Cows no, are massively, massively fatty. Yeah. And you can't, you can't avoid that. And you can go to your butcher and ask them for beef trimmings and they'll actually give you them generally, or they're really low cost. They're like a pound for a pound. Sorry, pound yeah. for two kilos. Um, <laughs> and it, it's that whole other, and they'll give, they'll sell me bones as well for like a pound for a kilo as well because they have to pay to take away their bones. They can't Incredible. So that nutri- nutritious food is yeah. seen as being, well, we're mad. It's, we're it's mad. classed as hazardous waste and they have to pay to dispose of it. So they will gladly, you go to your butcher and say, can I have your knuckle bones? Can I have this? What have you got in the, I, my, my butcher has a special self, shelf. What you got on the special shelf? Tongues, hearts, kidneys, livers, whatever, because he does proper butchery. They aren't. They, he's not what's called primals, which is the four. Basically, you lop an animal in four bits, and that's called primals. Right. Um, they actually do whole carcass butchery. So they've got bones, they've got organs, and they've got wow. all the really nutritious that's a good bits. Butcher to me. Yeah, he's lovely. I, I love. I adore my butcher. I don't go to him nearly enough. But again, if you if but then if you go to a supermarket and you can talk about the way we as a society, we've actually been shaped by the way our supermarkets give us food. We talked about it last time where we aren't eating seasonally anymore. 
because we just ship food over the entirety of the world and we just eat what we want when we want it. We always like bananas in January. They don't grow in January. Um, yeah. Asparagus only grows here. I only I only personally eat asparagus in May, March and, and April, like you mentioned last time. It comes from Herefordshire. It tastes amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I only eat strawberries in July and August or June and mm-hmm. July. Um, although I have had I have had some very recently because hey they were they were good, um, but it's that whole I won't eat them at any other time of the year. It's not the right time. And we we yeah. talked about this on a previous previous podcast actually about seasonality and yeah. about yeah. everything has a season and carbohydrate. Now is the carbohydrate season if we're going to be talking about seasonality. Whereas in the winter it's like the leafy green vegetable season and, and the meat season and and like in the autumn it's the the the, the tree fruits the apples the pears. It's never going to be banana season in this country. Yeah, no, I totally Ever. agree. And actually, it's interesting because you think, yeah, our ancestors would have eaten anything. So they probably would have yeah. had an apple, but then their little fibrous, tiny apple they would have eaten in <laughs> September to fatten up on for the winter or whatever, they'd be munching those. But they wouldn't yeah. be eating those massive, great sugary apples from September to September all year round, nonstop, yeah. and then pulping it into a juice and drinking just the mm. fructose. I mean, that was oh, yeah. not, not intended yeah. for us at all, was it? No, um, and, and even if you look at the way we developed being able to store, if, you, if we're talking about apples, um, people discovered that if you put an apple in your loft and you separate them so they're not touching, they don't go off. If, oh, if wow. they're touching, they, 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 they for some bizarre reason, they develop bruising. But if they, they, so they discovered if they put them in their loft and they put them on the rafters, um, they could have apples probably four or five months. They wouldn't last the whole year, but they could definitely. And then by the time you get to like the last ones, they're all dried out a bit. And then they put them in water, they rehydrate them. And then they they do like applesauce and whatever. Oh, No one ever juiced because you couldn't. We didn't have the technology to chop it up really fine and stick it through a mesh and do whatever do we do it to mm. it now. But they definitely would have eaten apples but we are talking not that long ago we're talking a few hundred years we're not talking thousands of years here either yeah so so we did we've discovered how to preserve we we invented jams we've we've invented a whole bunch of really lovely stuff to allow us to enjoy these things more than the season but after you've finished all the jam you're done yeah you couldn't just nip to the shops and get another packet another jar of jam and again, so we've completely talking societally the way the supermarkets work, and they also dominate the market. They they drive down food prices for the farmer because we've demanded well we can't spend loads on food because again the housing market now dominates our um, our available income. It, it used to be a lot less of a percentage than it is now. And, of course, one of the things that goes when you need a, a roof over your head, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the first thing you need is shelter. Then yeah. you need food. And it's yeah. that order. So when we're spending all this money on our shelter, we then haven't got enough money to spend on food. So, of course, the supermarkets being a big car, big – I wanted to use the word cartel then um, – <laughs> big organisations, um, they then suppress the um, cost – from that the, they give to the farmer so the farmers and themselves and we're killing our food in there's a whole other thing that we should have possibly talked about last week about how we are killing off the uk farming industry because of wow. the way the supermarkets are dominating the market not giving them enough cash to survive yeah well actually that is a huge problem and, and in fact what big supermarkets do and i know there's been legislation to try and change that is they go to their farmers and they say 
this is what we're going to pay you now for this. Yeah. And sometimes farmers can say, well, actually, we can't grow that much, uh, whatever it is you might want, like basil or whatever. So they start importing it themselves as farmers. And then the big supermarket can then say, oh, actually, we don't need you anymore. We're going somewhere else. And then that farmer oh. completely goes under, risking yeah. everything, purchasing extra crops for the uh, supermarket. And it didn't yeah. work at all. It's disaster. Um, it, it's not. The industry itself, I think because we, again, this is part of we've extracted ourselves from the food chain. We don't see yeah. where our food comes from. So, yes, we, it's, it's like the, the casualty, uh, the, the cas casualty of Amazon. We order it, it turns up. Yeah. And we think of the supermarket sort of in the same vein, but it, we, we're not thinking about, well, what had to happen for that to get to the supermarket? Yeah. We, 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 are, we are definitely educated to think short term. And, and I always thought that about Christmas view. trees, you know. I think about Christmas tree purchasing uh, in sort of December, and I think, how many years Pumpkins does it take? Halloween as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Those seasonal things where you think, so you've had years and years of growth for that plant or whatever to be used for a month and chucked. It's yeah. incredibly wasteful, isn't it, the way we so, do things? So, so wasteful. I mean, it's one of the things where I'm actually pro, pro plastic trees. I love a real tree, don't get me wrong. It smells amazing. Yeah. But... A plastic tree in that respect is far more sustainable. Although you have got that we can recycle it, we can put it into the energy, whatever. And we are growing trees to produce some stuff like that. But it's still, yeah, it's a massive waste of resources. And the amount of pumpkins that get grown and bought in October and then just thrown away. We don't eat the blooming things. They don't yeah. taste very nice. You can't anyway. Exactly. So I actually got into, about two, three years ago, I got into eating pumpkin. And, of course, I bought those small, gnarly, like, oh. you know, cooking pumpkins. Absolutely gorgeous. Love them. Tried mm. to thinking, hang on a minute, they're, they're these huge, really cheap ones in the supermarket they're selling for, like, Halloween. So I cooked it, almost made a steam room out of my kitchen because the whole thing is water. water. And it just tasted awful. And I thought... What a waste. So that's been watered and nurtured and watered, fed fertilizer. Fossil fuel fertilizer yeah. um, has has been monocropped to itself. It, it, it's an, I don't buy them in, 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 I just don't do Halloween from that perspective. It, yeah. It's in a massive ecological waste. And as and a then society, the actual pumpkin gets stuck in the bin. Yeah, yeah, we do. And it gets put in the bin in landfill. doesn't yeah. even go back into like compost or anything, does it? Well, it's completely depending destroyed. on what, what your local authority and how they deal with food waste. I know yeah. my my one's actually pretty good with food waste. Um, but there are, it's like my mum's borough, they make her pay for her green bin. They 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 make you pay £54 a year so that you can do food and garden waste. It's not going to happen then, is it? <laughs> no, it's really not. Whereas yeah. mine, my, my, my council does it all for free. So well, it depends where you live in the country. And again, that's part of what we accept as a society. I personally believe that's outrageous. The fact that if I want to be a good recycler, the council are not covering it within what they're asking for council tax. And I believe fair taxation supports society and it sh we should be paying our way. Yes, we shouldn't pay a penny more than we need to pay. But if they if they are then not making their council tax make ends meet to provide food recycling there's something wrong yeah definitely I, I do agree with you on that i think it's so important but i also think central government needs to step up on this because <laughs> if they put the if they made it a priority then councils would obviously do this as a priority mm -hmm. but then also you know to, to take I, I do know a lot about local government and they've been completely <laughs> rinsed in terms wow. of their funding and so they have to try and choose sometimes yeah. between social care uh sometimes between different yeah. sort of schemes they're running uh, and of course it depends on the priorities and this gets Absolutely. knocked down 
you can't prioritize everything. So I do, no, I do take my hat off to them. Can yeah. I just ask uh, one other thing though about Sasata, which I realize we haven't talked about, and I think it'd be really good to talk about too. So we have illnesses now that we that are well, but I love the way that it's described in Ravenous by Sam Apple. He he describes different people describing in the past how civilization brings about certain illnesses like cancers mm-hmm. that you didn't see before. But actually it's bigger than that, isn't it? Because not civilization, I don't know, I think it's a judgmental term, but modern <laughs> society is making other diseases too that we just didn't see. And it's yeah. interesting how there's such a strong link. And I think you definitely agree that there's a huge link between nutrition and poor nutrition and mm-hmm. those illnesses. And yet instead of, of trying to educate people to change the way that they're eating, our society then goes for the medical route and tries to medicate to, yeah. to not even, and this is what I find the most shocking from doing this podcast, the medicines that are actually given out, and I've learned a lot from Graham Phillips on this, they're actually given out to try to manage a condition until you die from it yeah. rather yeah. than heal you. And mm-hmm. that's another huge industry which has grown up to try to adapt us to our diets or keep us yes. alive a bit longer and a bit less pain from our diets. I, I find that a very odd part of our society. It, 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 I think that starts to stem from like the, the late 18th, early 19th, where we as, as, as men, I'm going to say men, because women were not involved in these decisions back then. What, however you want to view it, it was all, it was all men that thought they knew better. Um, you can look at the way that they effectively made midwifery like they are the devil and you shouldn't trust a yeah. woman with your body to have, have children. You have to rely on the men. That, that's that, official again, and put it through the doctors who are men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. make it, make yeah, it medical. So we, yeah. we started medicalizing, sort of, as I say, back at the beginning of the 19th-ish century. And we've then used that framework that rational framework ever since now rational rational science serves us but it's not the be all and end all um and as we've evolved our opinions we haven't evolved our methodologies and so what we do and i don't believe that any person that goes into medicine is going into medicine to harm people they are wonderful warm caring people that want to help yeah. The system of their education then says the this is how you manage symptoms. And I'm sure um, Dr. Unwin, he's spoken about this before on your podcast. This drug treats that problem. This drug treats that problem. This drug treats that problem. There is nothing about the modern medical um, ecology, going back to that yeah. word, that says, and um, Dr. Sarah Myhill, I don't know if you've got her on your podcast yet. If you haven't, no, I haven't you really no. need to. Um, yeah. She was talking on the Fabulously Keto Park podcast about she got very fed up within the NHS because she was asking the questions of, well, what is causing the migraine? What is causing the diabetes? Yeah. What is causing perpetual question? And no one, the way that medicine, the medicine people, doctors, nurses, ambulance people, people that are in medicine, nobody is trained to think. How can we treat the cause? They're all trained. How do we how do we suppress the symptoms? Yep. As I think I've said before, we don't have a national health service. We have a national sickness management service. Yeah, yeah. And so where we are then starting to eat food that causes symptoms, the drug companies, in response with the the, the a the population getting sicker, then leap into that gap and fix. The symptoms. So yeah. if you think about wonderful drugs like insulin, 
that's actually something that is treating the symptom of your pancreas. Your the beta cells in your pancreas have died. Type one diabetes. Your yeah. the the the, the beta cells in the pancreas have died. So we give you insulin because so then you won't die. Nineteen twenty one. Um, what's his face? Um, Banting, not related Banting, yeah. to William Banting, another yeah. Banting. And it revolutionized how we treated that disease and people started to live longer. But then, of course, they then got sicker because, of course, when you give people lots of insulin and then don't moderate what they're eating, which is how we used to keep those people alive before. We kept them alive on very, very low carbohydrate diets. Surprise, surprise. Um, once you give them insulin and they go, well, we can eat whatever we like. They then started getting, as um, Jason Fung discovered, Dr. Fung, um nephritis um cancer uh, sorry kidney stuff they started getting diabetic retinopathy um neuropathy with nerve tingles and all, all the stuff that is caused by when you don't control your blood sugar properly yeah and so you can think about metformin metformin fantastic drug because it doesn't stimulate your in, your insulin production but it's effectively it's treating the symptom of high blood glucose not the mm. cause of well actually you've got insulin resistance because of what you're eating so if you take away the things that make you fat and sick, you stop being fat and sick. And then, of course, that would then destroy, quotes, the drug industry, which they don't want. So there's this now this horrible vested interest between big food and big pharma. And I hate being such a conspiracy theorist person here. But there's the big food with the production of food that makes money because it's 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 low quality ingredients, high profits. Yeah. You've then got big pharma who are producing drugs to medicate the problems caused by the food that is not suitable for us as human species. And theoretically, everyone is happier because everyone is getting fatter and sicker. That then drives the diet industry, of course, because yep. you then we have that model. If we pick you up. We will we will make you starve yourself so you can get thinner again. And of course, that's not going to work long term because as an animal, we can't starve forever. Oh, but it's your fault if you can't stick to it. It's your fault if you can't be hungry forever. Yeah. And become malnourished and have bad nails and bad hair and bad skin. It's, it's not our problem. <sighs> it's this, as I say, it's this horrible trifecta of things that we've evolved as a society, effectively to make money, and it's it's uh, horrible. Yeah. It is horrible, and you know what? The so, some people might say. I was thinking when you said that. Well, you know, so what? So yeah, so our food is not necessarily the best for us. So we can pick up drugs which make things better again. But actually, like you said, it doesn't make things better. It just tries to suppress some of the symptoms. Yeah. But secondly, and this is the most worrying thing for British people listening, it's the actual health of your national health service that's the biggest also risk as well, because it is going to collapse. You know, it's ten percent at the moment of the NHS budget is spent on type two diabetes, just yeah. uh, on diabetes. Sorry, and like ninety five percent of it's type two, should I say? Um, and you think ten percent, and that's just going up and up and up and up. And actually, in the end, you can see the arguments happening already. People saying we can't afford the NHS anymore. People have to take personal responsibility for their health, and they have to pay for their own medical treatment. And in the end, you could lose something mm. so precious and valuable in this country, which is the closest thing I'd say we have to a national religion right now, is the <laughs> NHS. And we could lose it completely because, of course, of this huge attack that's happening on our health right now that it's trying to patch up the pieces, uh, pick yeah. up the pieces and patch up the cracks, should I say. Yeah, well, you, you have got that. I am very pro taking personal responsibility and I eat the way I eat because I'm taking personal responsibility. Yeah. As you said, 10% of the budget. I, I, did, I did the numbers on this about 18 months ago and at that point it was £14 billion a year on di type Ooh. 2 diabetes and the complications. Just 10% is a meaningless percentage when you don't know how much the budget is. £14 yeah. billion is a lot more real. 
that is a 14 billion we could spend on lots of other stuff if we weren't eating the things that gave people type 2 diabetes and yeah. that that's the bit where we take personal responsibility yeah because yeah. i am i am very pro taking personal responsibility and i'm also very pro better living through chemistry i have blood pressure medication because i need my my blood pressure is higher than i want it to be i don't need a stroke right now so i'm working with my doctor to allow me to have better living through chemistry whilst also taking personal responsibility, taking rid of, getting rid of the junk food, making sure I get enough vitamin D, exercise, sunlight, all the things that make me a better whole holistic human. I don't believe these two things are exclusive. I yeah. really think as a patient, I should be working with my doctor as a health consultant to allow me to make the most optimal choices for my health. A lot of people, unfortunately, and again, we've been educated that you go to your doctor, your doctor gives you a script and away you go. Yeah, yeah. And it's, that's, again, that is not healthy at a societal level. We should not be expecting our doctors to tell us what to do. We should be asking our doctors, what's my best course of actions? I've done some research. I've got this. What do you think? Um, how do, how would How can we work together to make me the best human I can be? That's, yeah. That is what I believe is a, is a medic's job. Love that. So it's actually more like coaching for health yeah. rather than just patching up illness. Yeah. And again, that's what Dr. Unwin is doing in his practice, 100%. He's giving people, here is low carb, here is the, the, the Newcastle study with the very low calorie stuff. This is, these are the advantages. These are the benefits. These are the crons. What's your choice? What do you want to do? And he's asking them. And it's like, yes, please, can we have more of that? Love that, and that's yeah. And I, I think we could we could talk about David Unwin a lot on this because he is somebody who leads the way. He's, he shows that actually he you know he well I wouldn't say he was patronising his patients before, but I think he probably would say that he was just because of the paradigm really? of doing medicine to them, and yeah. now instead he's actually informing people and then saying what do you want? And I think you're right. The, the informed choice is a centre of good yeah. medical practice. Wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nicola. That's been really interesting. Uh, next time we're talking a bit more kind of smaller than that. So we've gone the bigger environment. Now we've gone to societal and next we're going to talk about the family and about our kind of not just family members, but also friends around us and the sort of relationships we have with them and that sort of impact on food on our relationships with it as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, have a lovely week and um, I will speak to you then, Nicola. Speak to you soon, my love. You take care. Bye.